I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece. His masterpiece. Good morning, church. Hey, thank you for being here this morning. What a joy it is always to come together on the first day of the week to worship our risen Savior together, to know that we serve a God who loves us so much that he sent his son for us, and we have hope in that story. We like to tell that story in our lives, and so we surrender ourselves to God. We surrender our gift sets to him and say, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so uh, we're excited to come together to celebrate that God Jesus Christ here today. Thanks for joining us. I want to say welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thank you for joining us and being a part of uh, Crosspoint this morning. And of course, our hope is if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love to have you as part of our family here at Crosspoint. And uh, join with us in that storytelling process as we surrender our gift sets. We invite you to do the same thing and say, God, use me how you can in your story. Uh, I know we've got uh, some guests in here, but I also want to mention specifically, we've got Pioneer Bible Translator interns right over here in this section, I think. And so we're very excited to have you here this morning. We are going to have uh, them and our Honduras team that will be leaving uh, soon up here on stage when we're done with the message uh, to bless them as they go out into all parts of the world. But thank you for joining us today and letting us be a part of uh, your honored journey and uh, you sharing your gift sets with the world to tell that story. 
We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles. You'll turn with me there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do arrive uh, there at that text. Text will also be on the screen. But I want to remind you of one thing that Cale mentioned too. That's tonight. Uh, you want to be a part of uh, the kickoff summer that we've got going here tonight for game night. Now, some of us are young and will want to be here. Some of us are young at heart and will want to be here as well. But it'll be a great time just to get together for dinner, for drinks, for, uh, for uh, some dessert, just to hang out together and hear one another's story, how our summer is uh, beginning and what we're planning on doing this year. And then, of course, the mystery game that you'll want to be here and be a part of. It's going to be a fun time, a couple of hours to be together. So I want you to come back and be a part of that tonight. Our text, uh, of course, is going to begin in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We've started there every uh, lesson in this series, and today is the last in a four-week series on temptation. How in the world can we combat what Satan throws at us? And my hope is today that we'll leave with some practical advice of things that we can put in our toolbox to really combat what Satan throws at us, the things that we have going on in our life. All of us know there's not a person in here that doesn't deal with some type of temptation. Each and every one of us do, and we started out that, this series talking about uh, being able to identify what temptation looks like, and hopefully the trigger points uh, that you know in your life that kind of gets you into that moment. We want to stay out of that moment. Uh, we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit works in our life to empower us to do battle against the enemy, and how we can overcome that temptation when we're plugged in to him. Uh, and today we're going to talk about three practical things that you'll be able to take home and uh, make sure that that's part of your life to combat the temptation that comes our way. These things are going to be simple. You're going to look at them and say, well, okay, I know that. But the minute that we all start doing these things in our life, I'll start to stop talking about it. Until then, we'll keep bringing it up as just reminders of ways that we can get out there and tell the story of God while at the same time defeating Satan in the process. So let's get to our text. Paul starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. He says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Now, I want to stop and talk about that just for a minute because there are a lot of us who feel like we can take care of it on our own. We can do this thing on our own for at least a little while. That we, uh, we look at what is happening in the world and we think, you know, for the big stuff, I'll call on the Holy Spirit. For, for the bigger stuff, I'll let Jesus know I need him to be a part of this equation, but I've got the little stuff. And Paul says, if you're there in your thinking, be careful, because that's when Satan will show up and you won't even know he's present until it's too late. He says, be careful. Verse 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. And Paul reminds us of how important it is to recognize and know what is happening when Satan comes our way with temptation, but also to realize that God is faithful. God is going to work in every single moment, even in the moments when we fall, when we don't make a good choice. Uh, he's there to pick us up, brush us off, and help us move forward in his story. It reminds me of this idea of uh, a story that Mark Phillips told me. He's a good friend and professor at ACU. Uh, I met him in Stillwater when he was working on his PhD, but Mark in his undergrad used to be on the swim team uh, at the university, and he got there to practice early one day, went to the deep end of the pool, and uh, looked at his coach and he said, hey, do you, would you mind if I jumped in, sank to the bottom, and kind of to see how long I could sit on the bottom? And the coach looked at him and he said, 
you can do that for a little while. Now, the story relates to our work in the world being empowered by the Holy Spirit because there may be moments in your life, and I say maybe, where you can move through life without the help of the Holy Spirit. You're some things going on in your life that you've got to grasp on. But understand, like Mark in his story, you're going to have to come to the surface to breathe at some point. You might can get by, might can get by for a short period of time in a day. But if you're like me, you know you cannot survive without the Holy Spirit in your life. There's no way. You've got to have Jesus Christ in your life. You've got to have a tight relationship with him because I'll promise you temptation is coming your way and Satan is going to do everything he possibly can to get you out of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. There are moments when we're called to be strong, but moments when we also uh, find ourselves giving in to temptation. And you have found yourself there before. You make statements like, look, I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to go over there and check that out. I didn't want to go to that website. But in the moment, I I was weak. In the moment, I was tired. I wasn't thinking straight. Or maybe I didn't want to say those things to that person. I didn't want to be so degrading. But in the moment, I gave in to temptation, and I followed the crowd on this particular thing. Or I didn't want to put those things in my body, that substance. But in the moment, I caved into peer pressure, and I fell. You and I have had those moments before where we have been weak in the moment, and many times it's because we haven't bonded with the thing in life that will make us strong through life. We haven't bonded with the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses the metaphor of the vine and the vineyard, and he says, if you want to be healthy, if you want to produce fruit, if you want to be everything God's created you to be, then you've got to be connected to the vine. Because that's where you get your nutrients. That's where you get your ability to produce fruit, to live the life that God's called you to live. But for some reason in our lives, we tend to at times get disconnected from the vine. And we lose that ability to do what's right in the eyes of God. There's a professor by the name of uh, Bruce Alexander. He's at the University of Vancouver. And he's a psychologist, so he does some behavioral analysis with animals and specifically with rats. He he did this one test where he had a water bottle in a cage full of water, and he had another water bottle in the same cage that was actually at times laced with heroin or at times laced with cocaine. And he wanted to see which one the rats would pick. And over time, they stayed away from the pure water and went to what I will call the juice. They went to the juice. And many of the rats OD'd. They were getting some benefit from that, at least they thought. There was something bonded with drinking that particular water, and it was the high they were getting when they drunk the water. And the professor, Bruce, he said, I've realized I haven't bonded anything with the regular water. And so he created kind of a little playground for the rats. See, there was some food in there. There were some uh, circle things you could run on, all kinds of different things they could get into. And when they would go and drink the regular water, a little door would open and the rats would go in and they would play. And pretty soon they were staying away from the juice and they were going to the water because it was bonded with something that was positive. It was bonded with something that was helping them in their life, at least they thought. And as we think about our life with the Holy Spirit, we've got to make sure that we are bonded, that we're connected on the vine to what is going to benefit us, what's going to be a positive influence for us in our life. We need to bond with what makes us stronger. 
As we think through that process, we need to have something in our life that will help us resist temptation even more than we're capable of. Because I have found in my life, when I fall, when I succumb to temptation, it's because I'm not connected as well as I could be to my God. I've taken time out of my day and not been uh, connected with him in some way. I've uh, gotten tired physically, emotionally drained, whatever it may be, I'm not as connected as I could be. But that connectedness makes me stronger against temptation. This morning, I want to talk about three things that I think will help us as we combat temptation, three things we need in our toolbox. And as we go through these, you're going to say, yeah, I know that, I understand, that's pretty easy to do. But there may be some of us in here who are not really plugged into any of these three things. And I want to challenge you this morning, if that's you, I want you to take your time with one of these three things and really focus on it for about three months. Really think about it, kind of get out of yourself and say, how how can I be different in this part of my life? And then when you've worked on that for about three months, maybe check out doing one of the other two until you've accomplished all three. But most of us probably do some level of the three things that we're going to talk about. There are ways that we need to feed the Spirit. And the first thing this morning, we need to feed the Spirit through prayer. You and I have got to make a decision in our life that we are going to take time out of our busy schedule to be in prayer to God, to create that intimate moment with God. There are moments where we go to God in prayer and we feel the strength of the Holy Spirit rising in our life. It's what makes us stronger. Jesus knew about this connection to temptation and prayer. He he knew that the two are definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum. Jesus, in the last evening of his life on earth, he was having the Passover meal with his disciples and others in that upper room. And after they were done, they, they shared a song together. And then he said, let's go down to Gethsemane. Now, we pronounce it Gethsemane. It literally means olive press. And so he wants to go down to the olive grove, the Mount of Olives, and pray in the late evening. And so he and the disciples trek down there, and he kind of sets them up in a location. He says, I want you guys to pray here, pray for strength. And I'm going to go over here and pray for a while. And he comes back and checks on them. And in Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41, it says, When he returned to the disciples and found them asleep, he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I find it interesting in the last few hours of Jesus' life that in one sentence he talks about prayer and fighting temptation. Prayer is a powerful ally that you and I have in our life to really connect to the Creator. To say, I want you in my life, God. I want the Holy Spirit to dwell within me. Make me the person you've called me to be. Even early on in Jesus' ministry, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, there's a a piece in there where he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And there's just a few lines that he recites. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But he recites in this Lord's Prayer. And toward the end of the prayer, he says, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Again, prayer accompanied with fighting temptation. It's so important that we have this going on in our life each and every day. Understand that nobody falls into holiness, nobody falls into righteousness. We fall into temptation. 
You see, if we want to be more holy, if we want to look more like Jesus, then it's going to have to be intentional on our part. You and I are going to have to make a decision, a conscious decision every day to be in prayer to our God. And it's in those moments that we'll receive the blessing that God has for us. Uh, You may remember a week or two ago, I talked about the prayer of submission, and we could be certainly involved in that, and I pray that many times on the way to work. I say, God, I want you in my life. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus, give me your eyes so that I can see the world around me as you see it. Jesus, give me your mouth so that I can speak words of affirmation to those I come along with, that I can build up and not tear down. Jesus, give me your ears so I can hear those who are longing to hear the story of Jesus Christ and go to them. Jesus, give me your heart so that what breaks your heart will break my heart. Jesus, give me your hands so that I can serve those around me. Jesus, give me your feet so that I might go to those who desperately need that message of hope. That prayer of submission is so important because it reminds us that God is the one in charge, not Satan, not me. That the Holy Spirit living within us empowers us to do great and mighty things in the story of God. And there are numerous ways that you can pray. I just mentioned one. And I do a lot of praying when I'm driving in the car. I speak out loud because it's very, for me, an an encouragement to hear the words, Holy Spirit, God, Jesus Christ, empowerment. Now, when you drive, don't bow your head and close your eyes. That wouldn't be a good thing. You, You can pray with eyes open. It's okay. But numerous ways that you can pray. Maybe in your life you do uh, uh, the the type of prayer I just mentioned. Maybe you do it while you're driving. Maybe you do a popcorn prayer. I did this in youth group quite a bit and with my own family driving down the road. Popcorn prayer basically is this. Thank you, God, for fill in the blank. And then everybody just goes around and says the one or two things that they're thankful for. Or maybe you have a war room in your house. Maybe there's a piece of your house that you've dedicated to prayer. There's a journal there and a Bible, and it's the place you go where you've got maybe names taped on the wall or things and events coming up that you need to be in prayer about. And that is your war room. Maybe you've got it written out or typed out and you've got it taped on your bathroom mirror or it's in your car on the desk at work and you read through that prayer each and every day as you start. There are numerous ways that you can be in prayer. The call this morning is that you and I make a conscious decision, intentional decision each and every day to be in prayer to God, to ask him to be in our life. But also we need to feed the spirit through reading God's word. We've got to make a decision daily that we are going to be in the word of God because it's there that we find wisdom. I used to think this was a book of rules when I was a kid, but now I read it and I see the love of God. I see his story. I see the wisdom that he wants to pour in to his creation. And we're called to hide the word of God in our hearts so that we can be prepared when temptation comes. Because I'll promise you, Satan is the father of lies and he will show up at the most inopportune times. You and I, when we've got the word of God written on our heart, will be able to combat that. Now, some of you this morning are saying, well, the gift of memorization really is not my gift, Tim. I I can't do memorization. And I know that that's not right. Because you've got every song in the latest Taylor Swift album memorized along with the dance moves to boot. You see, we memorize what we find important in life. And so being in the word of God and having those words of God written on our heart to be on recall in a moment is so very important. The psalmist said in Psalms 119 beginning in verse 9, 
He says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the, the writer is acknowledging the importance of the word of God in our life. That having it written on our hearts to be able to think through and talk about with others is so incredibly important. We talked about last week how Paul mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, the battle that we are in. Paul says, listen, we're not fighting against one another, not against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the unseen leaders of this world. And that's a little scary to me. I don't know about you, but I need some supernatural help in my life if I'm going to do battle there. But Paul reminds us that we need to put on all of the different pieces of armor. But in that process, he also mentions to take up the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive piece in that whole ensemble. It's where we can attack when Satan comes at us and we can let him know who really is in charge. It's interesting, at the very end of that section of Scripture, Paul goes on to say, and pray in all circumstances. There's that prayer again, married uh, married to to the Word of God. At the very front end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 4 before he actually kicks everything off, text says that the Spirit leads, G- leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And so he, he's out in the wilderness, and we have at least three of those temptations recorded in Matthew. There may have been many more, but those are the three that we have. Most scholars believe that the area that Jesus was in when he was being tempted, a lot of the small stones in the area actually looked like loaves of bread. And we know that Satan came to him, the first recorded temptation, and he says, hey, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn the stones to bread, and then you'll have something to eat. After all, you're pretty hungry. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture back to Satan, and Satan leaves him. Later on, Satan comes back and takes him to a high point of the temple. Hey, throw yourself down, because before you hit the bottom, God is going to send the angels to rescue you before you hit those rocks. And Jesus quotes scripture yet again, and Satan leaves him. The third one is interesting. He takes him out to a mountaintop and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, if you will simply put your knee down and worship me, I will give you all of what you see in front of you. And Jesus again quotes scripture and Satan leaves him. I don't know about you, but I've often thought about this series of temptations and I thought that's not really fair. It really isn't. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. Of course he's not going to cave into temptation. I'm not the Son of God, clearly, so I'm probably going to have problems. It's not really a fair comparison, but think about that third temptation. Satan is on the mountaintop, and basically what he tells Jesus is, see all the kingdoms of the world, see all the people out there? I'll leave them alone if you take a knee. Can you imagine the temptation that must have been for Jesus? So you'll leave my creation alone? If I'll take a knee. But yet he quotes scripture. Because he knows that is the answer that God is looking for in his life. It's an incredible moment in time for us to realize the power of the word of God. There's a great movie that came out I think in 1987. Princess Bride. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It's a great movie. There's a scene where he and another character are sword fighting. And he's of course using his left hand. Montoya and says this quote, I've got some bad news for you. I'm really right-handed. 
and he begins to continue to sword fight. He's doing a great job fighting with the left hand, but then he changes to these, the actual hand that he, he uses every day, and he's equally fighting just as well. Wouldn't it be cool in our own life if with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, when Satan comes to us, we could say, I've got some bad news for you. You're not fighting me today, but the Spirit of God that lives within me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wouldn't that be awesome? To say, listen, Satan, you've got no control over my life, so you need to just be gone. And Paul reminds us again in the text we read at the very front end, 1 Corinthians 13, God is faithful. He will not let you go through more than you can handle. God is always present. He is with us and wants to journey with us and in us. And finally, we need to feed the Spirit with the right people. I know there's some out there thinking, okay, who gets to decide who the right people are? Because that's kind of an ambiguous word. I know in my 24 years of ministry, as I've sat and talked with other folks who've maybe made some bad decisions along the way over a weekend, and they want to talk about it, and they come in, and they're really forlorn, they're really upset, dejected. And one of the first questions I ask is, how did did this happen? Who, Who were you hanging out with? And almost every time, they come back with the wrong people. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to make that decision. But I was hanging out with the wrong people. And let me tell you something. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. That is how God wants us to think about the folks that we surround ourselves with. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he starts out with this concise definition of the gospel message And then he begins to move through what it means to be a disciple of Christ if we're truly following and believe that story. And then he gets to chapter 15 towards the end there and in verse 32 and 33. He says, some folks say, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right. Paul reminds us that the folks that we surround us with ourselves with will get us through life or bring us down in life one or the other sometimes the people that you are hanging with are enabling you to make poor decisions in your life on monday mornings you come in and you're regretful of the weekend that you just had you don't want to go there again but in the course of the week you've done really nothing to change what that might look like and so you find yourself in the same predicament in the following weekend. Being around the wrong people never made anything right. We need to consider who the folks are that we've got in our life that are moving us into our life story. Maybe you and I just need a friend upgrade. Maybe there's some folks in our life who, maybe they're out clubbing every weekend, they're, they're in the party scene, and we find ourselves with them often, Maybe we need to have less of that and more of folks who are just out in the community serving during the course of a week. Maybe we find ourselves around friends who are constantly uh, in the negative mindset. They're, they're gossiping and pulling people down. Maybe we need to make sure that we're around people who are positive and affirming and telling the story of Christ to those who desperately need to hear it. Maybe we need to be about looking into the Word of God and discovering who the people are that we need to have around us. And I know I've told you this before, so very important. I've got three or four guys that I journey in life with. 
And if, if you're a, a lady this morning, you need to have three or four women in your life. Guys, you need to have three or four men in your life. Men that you can just bear your soul to. But these three or four guys, I can, I'm a FaceTime away, I'm a text away, I'm a phone call away where we talk to one another. I talked to one of my really good friends uh, for about an hour on Tuesday this past week. And we cried, we were confessional, we want to hang out together, we can't get to that point where we live far enough away, it's, it's kind of hard. But those are the folks that are going to get you through life. Those are the folks who have the same end game that you do. They too want to live that ignited lifestyle and they want to get to see Jesus Christ in heaven one day. So make sure those are the types of people that are around you. I need people in my life that when I get off track, they're going to kick me back onto the track. I need people in my life who are going to affirm me and be positive and bless me and pray over me. Those are the types of folks I want in my life. You see, church is not something we go to. It is doing life together. That's church. Not just one hour on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week. Growing up, I I was taught by my mom and dad the power of prayer. We prayed often. I was taught the power of Scripture and how it works in your life. I was taught how to look for a community of believers that you could run with. And then when I turned 18, I thought I knew better, and I got out in the world and decided to make my own decisions, and nothing good happened from those decisions that I made. Eventually, I had to come back, and I had to relearn what it meant to pray. I had to relearn the power of Scripture in my life. I had to say goodbye to some friends that I had made along the way and make some new friends who wanted the same result in life that I now wanted. See, it's a spirit living in me that makes the changes happen. It's not me. I'm just surrendering to what God wants to do in my life. And I'm saying, God, I want you to have full control over everything that I have, over everything that I am. It's all you, God. And so this morning is really just an encouragement for us to think about the last four weeks that we've been together talking about temptation and an encouragement in your life to truly step outside yourself and to honestly ask yourself, how is my prayer life? How is my time in the Word of God? Am I dedicating moments in time every single day to those two things? Who am I hanging out with? Are they folks who are pulling me down or are they folks who are going to help me move toward the goal? of being in heaven with my Savior. And as we consider those things, my hope is in your toolbox that you've been reminded of the things that will empower you to do great and mighty things in the story of God. He truly wants to use you. He wants to be within you and move you. Robin and I were watching a a movie called The Letters, the story of Mother Teresa. There was a, a very important line in the movie where Uh, She was finally kind of, people were getting to know what she was doing uh, in Calcutta. And a reporter came with his pad and his pencil, and he wanted to get some statement from her. And she stopped because she was on her way to serve other people. And she took the pencil and she said, I'm just a pencil in the hand of God. I thought that was pretty powerful. That's what I want to be, and I'm, I'm sure you do too. God, use me how you see fit. Make me the person you've made, made me to be. I want to have your spirit living within me so that I can touch those with the hope that I share within my own life. I want to end this time. I want to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage. But I want to end this time together just in prayer that God would bless you in your life, that he would remove obstacles in your life, that he would 
take care of the temptation maybe that you're having in your life to, to make it less and make the, the Holy Spirit more evident in your life. And so let's bow this morning and pray and offer this to God. God, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are the God of the universe. We admire and adore you. You are everything to us. And my prayer, God, is that, that we will live a life that would acknowledge your righteousness. God, we want to be your people. We know that you have gone far more than you should have with the death of your son and finally his resurrection to get us back. And God, we ask for your forgiveness, for pushing you away at times, and we want to be known as your people. God, we want to live that ignited lifestyle. God, we want to feel the Holy Spirit in our life. And so, God, I pray a prayer for everyone here this morning, every family, every person, that you would move in their life in ways that maybe they never experienced before, that, God, you would surround yourself in their life and move them to be bigger and better than they ever thought possible. God, help us to, to see our temptation, to move it to the side, to let Satan know he no longer has any control over us, but God, that we surrender to you, you have control over us. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. We are grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.